Hello boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, this is Shahmi Ambran and welcome to another episode of Nasi Lemak Podcast where it is my job to interview people from all different types and different fields trying to understand how they handle complicated issues or their view on certain topics such as today we're going to talk more about entrepreneurships and startups or we're also going to generally talk about their work. My guest today is Reza Razali. He is a founder of two startup companies and an angel investor. One is Teratotech, a Malaysia's pioneer mobile app development, which he founded in 2008 after two years in Dell as a sales executive. And then he co-founded Slurp. Slurp is a cloud-based iPad point-of-sale system for F&B business. He is also an advisor to Atesha, a company that built a custom web application and stuff. Reza is also an active angel investor. He has invested in many startup companies, including the recent one is Nor Apps by Nilofa. And you can also see him speaks about entrepreneurship in many different occasions. Uh, recently, I think he spoke at Awani. Reza graduated from from University of Oklahoma with a bachelor degree in business administration, finance, and general. It is my privilege to invite him in this podcast. Um, thank you for doing this, Reza. Welcome to the podcast. No problem, no problem. My pleasure. Uh, you've been uh, in the startup ecosystems for more than 10 years now. In fact, you started up Teratotech mm-hmm. uh, in 2008 um, during financial crisis, which is very difficult for most startup companies. In fact, startup companies couldn't even get funding during that period. Um, and you started up this company, which is only two years after you graduated. Um, and you also studied business at the university. Did you always sort of have a thing that, okay, I want to start up a company at this age. Um, probably you've, you've been a, a starting a, a company since you were in high school. And sort of did your parents um, have created a kind of environment that makes you think in that way, in a startup entrepreneurship kind of mindset? Sure, Shami. First of all, thank you for having me. Uh, totally appreciate uh, the opportunity. Uh, always a pleasure having... Uh, Uh, having listened to many uh, overseas podcasts, uh, such a pleasure to be in the, in the local one. So thanks for doing this, doing this again. So yeah, so I started my first uh, actual business in 2008, 2008. But uh, my first business, uh, I started fairly, fairly early on. Uh, in fact, during uh, During the, my primary school days, I started selling during Hari Sukan Sekolah. Never missed that for Sekolah Rendah and Sekolah Menengah since Standard 4. Wow. Uh, I started to do that in Sekolah Menengah. And then in 1998, I started to sell on eBay. Uh, that was when I was in uh, Form 3. I started selling VCDs and uh, on eBay, uh, VCDs and car parts. And uh, that was my first... Uh, entry to entrepreneurship. Uh, I started to to do that because uh, back then there was uh, eBay and then there was uh, Yahoo auction. So I sell my stuff there and people were sending me US dollars by my post. So every day I would open my mailbox and I would receive US dollars. So that was uh, very interesting. Wow. Uh, we we did that. I did that for a few years. Uh, and the reason I started to do that back then was I wanted uh, a, lo- a, lot- a Lotus Elise, right? That was about $180,000 back then. Uh, I made enough money in Form 3 doing that. So, but, that, but I did not, and by, but I did not uh, go and purchase the car after that because I thought that uh, it's okay. I, I, I managed to make this much money, so maybe I moved to something else. So after that, uh, in, when I was in Form 5 in year 2000, 
I started a web uh, community in Malaysia, uh, a portal. It was called uh, Trato.com. It was very popular back then, 20 years ago. One of the earlier portals. In fact, we have more page views than Utusan back in the days. So it was very, very popular. So we have, uh, at peak, we have over 100,000 users. We were very, very early. Uh, but then, being, and then uh, through the portal, I won what, what, what was called the Asia Pacific ICT Award in 2001. So for best of student project, I got that. Uh, and after that, being young, you get easily distracted, right? It was exciting, but then I thought that it's okay. I, I, I try and do something else now. So after that, uh, it was popular, but then I, I did not focus on doing it uh, in doing that for a while because uh, I just thought that it's okay. I've built it to the scale. So maybe I move on to another stuff. Right? So uh, being young, that's what, uh, that's one of the advantage that you have. So uh, I did that and then, uh, and then I started a book selling business uh, in the US. Uh, did quite well as well. I make uh, every every semester when, when when the college reopened, I will make a few hundred thousand dollars uh, every semester. That was very uh, very very uh, exciting and profitable business as well. And then after I finished my studies in the US, I worked for Dell. Uh, and after that, due to the financial crisis, I came back to Malaysia. So yeah, so 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 that, that has been my journey uh, since I uh, started early on. So definitely, uh, the family has everything to do with it. Uh, having the right support structure and having the right uh, exposure, having the right uh, reading materials. In fact, I I I finished reading Bill Gates' biography when I was in standard five. Uh, a very very thick book, uh, a few thousand pages, and then I. I wrote my UPSR essay was on was on Bill Gates. Uh, in fact, right. So I was uh, I was hooked on. I got the entrepreneurship bug very very early. Definitely, uh, the exposure by my parents was very helpful towards that. I see. For those who don't know um, about Tarato Tech, do what uh, can you sort of um, provide briefings? What uh, Tarato Tech uh, generally do. Sure. Uh, what Trato Tech did was, uh, I started that when I came back from the US in 08. Uh, what we did was, uh, I started that because I saw the iPhone keynote, right? And then the iPhone keynote, there was iOS. And back then, even iOS, you cannot develop anything on the iOS, I was excited. I, uh, I told to myself that I wanted to be a part of the iPhone economy right, back then. Mm -hmm. So I set up the business without even knowing that can we actually build apps for the iPhone? Mm -hmm. But luckily, I was able to find a founder that has the... Because initially when we started, I started I started to build web apps for the iPhone because that's all that you can do early on uh, mm -hmm. when they first started. So, but luckily, I uh, eventually found my co-founder in Slope right now. Uh, he was uh, one of the early IOS, develop, iOS developer in the world and I have my, my friend... Uh, uh, that, uh, that that was in Singapore, so he, he was also giving me exposure to a, this is what you can do on the iPhone. You can actually build what we call jailbreak apps uh, like that. So so I got my exposure through that. And then uh, uh, Trato been around about 13 years now, but Alhamdulillah, we have been, uh, uh, we have de developed apps that uh, I'm sure a lot of Malaysians have used. Uh, we developed the CMB Click, CMB Clicks uh, mobile app. 
we developed that for quite a while, and then we developed apps for uh, Domino's Pizza, Malaysia, Singapore. We developed some of the better known ones. We developed the Ice Lango apps. So those are some of the apps that we built that's uh, being used by millions of Malaysians uh, every single month. I see. So um, because uh, these things apps all requires technical stuff. When you start these things, right? Did you like know you need to know like this technical stuff when you start these things? Sure. I was very technical. I started programming when I was a kid. I think when oh. I was in standard one, I started doing Q basic already. So I have uh, the early, very early exposure towards coding. So when the iPhone was first first released, I could already start to see how I can develop a web application for it. So I've been, yeah, I've been coding for a while. Uh, I was, uh, I was fairly good back then, but Alhamdulillah, I find better partners uh, to run my, to run the business, to run the technology now. They are smarter, better people than me. So I, I let them run the technical show now. I see. What do you learn during the earliest day of starting Tarato Tech? Uh, wow, the, the main thing that we had was uh, there were so many opportunity, right? Because uh, it, was a, it was basically a, the opening of a new frontier. So mm. there was just uh, so many things that you could, uh, uh, that you could do. Uh, basically, we, had, uh, we just had so much ideas and we, we were lucky we were able to uh, work on some of the ideas and were able to uh, be exposed and be part of the community very early on because uh, that gives us what we call a first mover advantage uh, in running the business. Yeah. I see. Mm -hmm. Nice. You are a co-founder of Slurp and you started the company mm -hmm. in 2014. Can you tell us what does Slurp do and how do you start the company? Yeah, so after a while running Trato, we uh, we started to realize that uh, for a tech business, you can you can do you can do servicing, mm. you can become an agency and service client, but uh, it's uh, you eventually want to have what we call your own product, right? Because uh, once you have a product, uh, it's a more it's a more scalable business. Uh, you see it, right? So in terms of servicing, in terms of agency, it's a sustainable business, but it just couldn't scale. So that was my worry. So we started Slurp as a product business. We decided to uh, do point of sale. And, uh, and, and Alhamdulillah, it was, uh, we were profitable the first year we did it, second year, third year. So it was a quickly uh, a profitable business when we started. So, and, uh, so we liked that a lot. I see. Uh, in 2015, yeah. you had a pretty tough year for your business. Um, in fact, you had to sell your car because of that. Can you tell us a little mm -hmm. bit more on that? Um, what happens and what do you learn from this experience? Sure. Uh, so, so I sold off the car before it gets tough, right? I mean, I didn't realize it was uh, it was tough uh, initially. It was going to be tough, but uh, I had to uh, I I had to sell off the car because it was it was not practical. It was a it was a two door roadster, so was not a practical car. I only uh, had 40 kilometer of mileage uh, after owning it for six years. So it wasn't practical, it wasn't a practical car. So we, uh, so I sold off the car and then we had slurp, but then uh, eventually we also did some business which were not uh, really 
profitable. We were we were also a pioneer in building mobile games back then. It was an exciting space, but we were not able to scale that very quickly because uh, when you first started building mobile games on iPhone back then, uh, you can build a game that costs twenty thousand dollars, hundred thousand ringgit, and can you can fight it in the international market. But uh, by 2014, 2015, uh, larger companies entered the space to start to spend hundreds of million developing mobile games. Right? So, uh, so you as an indie developer, it's no more, uh, for, for us, we, we just couldn't break through. Uh, we, were, we were doing really well in, in early on while building games, but then uh, it started to become uh, really tough. So we had to sold off that uh, game unit. We sold it, I sold it the business to, a public listed company, and then I, I, uh, uh, I, yeah, and after that, we I had a, a few years, a very tough years. Uh, I think from 2016 till uh, 2019 was a very difficult, uh, a very, very difficult year, uh, for us. But, uh, but after that, I also, uh, one key thing I learned is uh, when you want to build a business build a business that's uh, profitable uh, from day one that uh, because you don't have to worry about uh, when you don't have to worry about cash flow and you don't have to worry about uh, uh, a lot of this thing, uh, it enables you to think more clearly in helping you uh, grow the business uh, a lot better. Because if you are distracted in not having money, having mm. to think about raising money, right? So. It distracts you from the core of building a great product, right? Because uh, I believe that what you need to build a great business is first a great team, and second of all, you need to have a, a great idea which uh, which has a large addressable market size. So, but if you are distracted about knowing that you just cannot work on this idea that you want because uh, that you want to work on because you just don't have cash, you just don't have the money, you constantly worry about money, so. Uh, it won't give you the able the ability to to think very clearly, uh, in my opinion. So, so right now uh, at Slurp, we are a highly profitable business. So I am uh, I I enjoy having uh, I enjoy having this ability to think uh, very clearly when I see opportunities. When I think about something, I I'm able to think more clearly. So I. I really, I really cherish uh, this ability uh, to do so. I see. You mentioned about profitability mm -hmm. and your company had made like 529,000 profits in 2019. And in mm -hmm. 2020, you are, track, you are on track to make 4.5 million profit. That it's like a whopping increase mm -hmm. of 750%. And that is rarely mm -hmm. happens to most startup companies, even after five years, because a lot of startup companies, they are still you know, with burning cash and they still keep on raising more. And honestly, I'm not even sure whether Grab is actually making profit right now um, because Uber, as far as I know, and Leaf also is not making profit. And you managed to make it make profit even during pandemic. Can you tell us how you do it? Sure. So as I said, right, I mean, we learned our lesson very, very early. Uh, when you want to build a business, make sure the business economic makes sense, make sure it can be profitable, make sure you don't need a lot of investor money. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I mean. Basically, you don't have to pile on that. We don't have to pile in on investor money before making the business uh, cash flow positive, right? So, 
So that's what happened to us. We were burning cash uh, with our game business in the past. So when we started to do slurp, we wanted the business to be, uh, we wanted the unit economics to be positive. We did that the few years, but then we, we did take some investor money and then we were losing money for a while. And then we decided to get back to our core and decided to that every unit that we push to the market has to be positive. Uh, uh, unit economics, positive uh, margin. We cannot burn cash anymore. I mean, that's not sustainable for us because uh, if we are not profitable and uh, we decided to just burn cash to acquire users uh, and the pandemic hits us last year, it hits everyone really hard. If we were not prepared, uh, we would have had a very tough time uh, last year as well. So I think the key takeaway here is uh, try and build a profitable business uh, from day one uh, because it gives you the ability to, uh, yeah, it gives you the luxury of people to maneuver uh, very, very easily, right? I mean, your investor cannot dictate what you, what you can do, what you cannot do. Uh, if you're profitable, you can also raise money at your own term, not, not, not at the term of the VC. So there's, there's a lot of advantage of uh, a, being able to build a profitable company. I see. You, yeah. you write a lot about startup ecosystems and also you talk a lot about startup. What do you think about startup ecosystems in Malaysia now during pandemic and probably can compare it with other countries like Singapore because I think you have a vast experience in that area too. Uh, I... I... <clears throat> I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure about uh, the startup landscape in Malaysia. I have not uh, uh, holistically overview macro. I've not really uh, looked at the landscape, but I'm sure some companies are struggling really hard. Some companies uh, in certain segments like, like logistics and all that, they are definitely doing really well because uh, consumer demand for... Uh, for e-commerce has increased significantly. Uh, I've also seen people who has uh, pivoted and did really well as well. So of course, uh, uh, a lot of has happened, right? There are those who did well, those who didn't do well, those who uh, are, are still struggling, right? So, uh, so I'm I'm sure there are winners and losers uh, from the pandemic, but. Uh, in terms of looking at a market like Singapore, uh, the thing about this pandemic is uh, we have not been able to uh, to look at what's really hot in Singapore because I used to travel there very frequently at least once every month, but we haven't do that for a while now. So we, I have no exposure to what's happening on the ground in that market. But uh, from a lot of, read, a lot of readings, uh, we can see that Last year was the year of the, I mean, globally, last year was, beside the pandemic, it was also the year for a lot of technology, <clears throat> a lot of uh, uh, technology being adopted by end user. So you can see company that does uh, uh, electric vehicle, that does uh, autonomous vehicle, those are doing really well uh, in markets like the US, like China. Uh, so but we have not uh, seen any of that happening in Malaysia yet. So, uh, <clears throat> so those are some of the trends that I notice worldwide, uh, not in Malaysia. So, and, and also things like uh, investment in uh, 
exciting things, right? Exciting thing is, of course, of course, the block, the blockchain, the uh, cryptocurrency. Uh, yep. We there is some movement locally, but we have not seen uh, that much uh, movement last year as well. But this space elsewhere in the world, it's really, really keen up. So I would say that uh, I'm not sure about the effect of the pandemic. Uh, if it brought the ecosystem forward by five years or it sets us back another behind five years that that, mm. that is yet to be that is yet to be seen but but the thing about uh, the pandemic also you could see beside opportunities you could also see how uh, a lot of uh, how the government announced a lot of program for the startup for the tech ecosystem but uh, from the Feedback I've received on the ground, none of this is uh, working out. Uh, companies uh, that apply for incentive did not get it, or takes them too long, over one year to get the application, uh, close to one year to get uh, the the fund disbursed. Uh, it's not really, it's not really helping out anyone really. I see. Mm-hmm. So, um, what separates failure startups and the successful one? Uh, uh, what separates them? Uh, of course, uh, you have to work really, really hard. You need to have a large uh, opportunity at hand, and uh, luck also plays a big part in your success, right? So never discount that. You can work as hard as you could, but uh, but if uh, the luck is not on your side, if uh. Uh, if rezeki itu memang tak ada, memang tak jadilah. Uh, that's what right. I also believe in, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I believe that's what separates that right? because if you look at a lot of uh, successful entrepreneur, they did not just uh, uh, credit their hard work and being very smart as their only attribute for success. You even look at right. that quality with uh, Warren Buffett, and then you look yeah. at that quality with uh, the founder of. Uh, a uh, founder of Airbnb, the founder of Squarespace, uh, the founder of a lot of tech company, uh, they attribute their success uh, also to luck. So there, there is this very popular saying that the harder you work, the luckier you get. So, uh, so I believe by that saying. I see. Um, so you retweet Gary Tan where he says that uh, future founders who do not have the skills to build yet uh, think raising capital is the first step, actually. Um, first step, actually, the uh, unskilled founders, even with capital, still fail when in competition against the skill. Get the skill mm-hmm. first, then get the capital after. So let's say if I want to start a, a tech company, let's say that's happening. Do I need to know how to mm-hmm. code? Only then I should start a company in this nursery or something else? I believe you need the, the experience, just having the capital and the idea is not enough. In, in fact, uh, you have to go through the whole process of building a product first uh, before you decide to. Uh, uh, you must go through the process of building a product first before you decide to become a tech founder, because not having that muscle, that builder ability, will just uh, makes you make very rookie mistake that cost you time and money, right? Mm. Yeah. So. When you lose money, being a first-time founder, can you raise a lot more? I don't, uh, I don't think so. I don't think so. It's going to be very hard. And also, what another thing that you don't have is uh, time, right? So 
let's say you are competing with another startup in the space with an experienced founder and you are inexperienced, you make so many mistakes early on, uh, you just cannot compete if you keep making a lot of these uh, what we call rookie mistakes. Yeah. I see. So um, Jalil Rashid recently tweeted about everybody getting excited about GameStop and thinking you have game the system. Mm-hmm. These things happen mm-hmm. very rarely for every GameStop success. There are hundreds of failures. Um, don't fall for it uh, if you cannot afford to lose everything. And I think this thing, this same tweet can also apply for business because when people start a business, they think of mm-hmm. Bill Gates, they think of Mark Zuckerberg, and then they think, oh, this people drop out, I can easily start a business. And then they have, they have this sort of ideas that if I if I start up a company in the future, I'm going to be like very successful, going to be very rich. Um, but then the thing is, but for every successful entrepreneur, there are hundreds, if not thousands of failed startups how can a future founder or for anyone who wants to start a business not falling in this biasness? Uh, for, for you to succeed, of course, uh, it depends, right? There's so many factors for you to succeed. Is the market ready? ready? Is the market large enough? Do you have enough uh, capital? I mean, do you have, uh, are you able to make the business very cash flow positive very, very early on? Uh, do you even uh, have the right skill set to success to succeed there is of course a lot of uh, a lot of uh, a lot of risks but you can minimize this risk right and how do you minimize this risk you just have to understand uh, first what's needed to run a business second of all what you need to uh, you need to be able to uh, i mean you need to be able you need to know how to run a business you can make it a very uh, cash flow positive at least or very profitable very very early on uh, or you can uh, are able to raise enough funding to give you some runway so you can build the product that you want or you can uh, uh, or, or yeah and of course wh- whatever you read in media uh, th- this is like the casino right you don't hear about people that uh, lost money you only hear about those who hit the jackpot and of right. course, behind one who hit a huge jackpot, there are thousands more that has lost all that they have. Uh, so, so for me, if you want to run a business, please uh, start with the with uh, please be very very prudent. Right? Please be very prudent. Of course, the big but the difference between a GameStop and uh, running a business is. At least in running a business, you are betting on yourself, right? And you can control that. Mm. With GameStop, you are fighting against another hedge fund. Right. So there's no way that you can control that battle, right? Right. Yeah. So having and best thing about running a business is you have full control, and you have uh, you are betting on yourself, and you have full control whether it succeeds or not succeed. You. I mean, not full, but you almost have full control, right? You cannot control the market still, right. but you can control a lot more of the variable compared to just uh, putting money in GameStop. Right. Interesting. So um, let's mm. say for experienced founders or for any founders of a company, um, they fail many, many times. So, and then, but then they truly believe in the ideas. When do these people should know when to stop, when to give up on the idea or when to keep on piling on more cash and burning more cash? When should the founder know that they should stop on their idea? Because the idea sometimes can keep on fail and fail and fail. And sometimes 
the business model is just wrong. It's, it's not going to work. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, sometimes founders keep on believing, oh, if you work hard enough, oh, if you have the motivation, you have the courage, you have to believe in yourself. And then, mm-hmm. and eventually you're going to make profit. So, but then the thing is, it's not always happened. Not all situations like, you know, Alibaba or Amazon, they always been making losses for many, many years, end up uh, eventually they're making profit. Not always the mm-hmm. successful stories are like that. You know, there are many people mm-hmm. who are still failing and then the best thing is just to do, just to give up, you know, on their startup idea. So when should the founder should know, you know, just give up, man, just don't do anything. Just just stop and do something else and probably working with people. It's probably better than doing your startup idea. When should they know that? Sure. Uh, th- that's why there's a lot of uh, framework uh, that we have these days, right? Uh, building uh, an MVP, a minimum viable product. So you can test these ideas very, very early on. So that's what I like with uh, running business these days. People keep sharing, right? You look at even Twitter, uh, you a lot of guys on Twitter, uh, Malaysian guys on Twitter, they share how to, how to test your ideas, how to run Facebook ads, right? So you can fail very early. You can test and fail very early. So if the model doesn't work, why would you scale it, right? So, so, so that's the best thing right now. There's a lot of framework that enable you to fail very fast. Once you fail very fast, you test it again. And, and you have to fail very fast at the lowest cost that's possible. You just need to prove that this model works, the student economics work. Is it scalable? If it doesn't scale, go back to the drawing board and test it again. So I believe that you test your unit economics first. If the unit economics works, then you, then you scale it. If it doesn't work, go back to the drawing board. So the, so the tuition fee is not that as expensive for you to uh, grow the business. I see. Can you tell us the step by step for someone who want, who think of, of starting a company? What should they do first? Should they like sort of do research first or should they find someone who is interested as, as the idea that he wants to pursue? What should they do first? Uh, uh, there's no one right way to do this, right? Uh, but uh, I always believe that if you have an idea test it in the simplest way that you can test first, right? Ask around, talk to your potential users, run an ad, that's a lot of way, right? Uh, uh, or just do a research. That is what you have to do uh, before you decide to start a company or decide to, to build something. You just need to go and talk to people first. You cannot be living in, uh, main thing is you cannot be living in a bubble if you want to start a company, you need to know who your customers are and you need to start talking to these customers, no matter how you can talk to them. You want to talk to them one by one, you want to do webinar, you want to do uh, Facebook ads and target them. You just need to ask the users, do they really need this or do they not, right? And to get the answer from the question also depends on whether you need to ask the right question because uh, as uh, as uh, Ford has said, when Henry Ford has said, when he built the uh, uh, the, uh, the initial Model T, right? If he were to ask people, "You want uh, a car?" Uh, they would just say, uh, "They will just want faster horses, right?" So you have to, but uh, you have, but you need to, you need to to ask your potential user first, or you need to identify that, that not, not just ask the potential user, you need to identify their pain point and how your solution can resolve uh, their pain point. 
better than whatever there is right now. I see. You are mm -hmm. an active investor in, in Malaysia, uh, I believe, and you also you have invested in Norbay, Nilofar, and Amans Media. I'm pretty sure you have invested in many different companies before. Um, mm -hmm. What are the qualities that you look at when you invest in companies? Uh, I look at, first of all, the I look at the two things, right? There's only the team and the founders. So it can be the team first. I mean, it can be the team or the product, right? The team meaning the founders and then the product if the product has had traction. So, but I always want to make bet on founders that can become my friend. Uh, although it's business, right? People say business is business, but I appreciate uh, uh, the relationship that I have company, with founders that, that I have invested in. They add a lot more to me than I add to them, right? They give me insights. They educate me. Uh, even though some of these investment uh, might not have made me a lot of money, but I made friends and uh, it enabled me to be exposed to whatever they are doing. And I am constantly educated by it. So I make it a point, first of all, actually, I look at the team, the, found, uh, the founders. Uh, do we, can we like each other? Can we work with each other? Can we add value to each other? Uh, then I look at the product. Yeah. I so I always bet on the founder first, then the product. But but if the founder is also, I like the founder, but the product is uh, not so much, uh, we can always uh, look back at the drawing board, right? If uh, right. we can always help them reiterate the product. But if it's a some if it's a jerk, someone that you cannot work with, uh, I just uh, I just uh, try. I I don't go in into this investment because it's. Uh, I don't add value to them and they cannot add value to me. So why about that? I see. So it's not about mm -hmm. just, it's not about profitable, whether that company has to be profitable or not. It's just about those two things. Sure. Sure. If you, if you want to angel investment, I look at it that way, right? Mm -hmm. if, the, if you want to look at making profit from investment, angel investment is the worst way to make money. Uh, uh. Really. Yeah. You look at all the stats and the numbers, you are better off putting putting your money in the stock market to make money, uh, not see. Uh, not investing in startup businesses. So, so when I put in money in uh, all these founders that I've invested in, uh, Instaweb, in Amans, uh, I look at it as a way that I can also learn from their journey and I might be able to give them some point pointers. But main thing is, eventually you can become... Uh, yeah, I can learn from them uh, a lot more than they can, they can learn from me. So I, I, I enjoy that. I see. What do you think yeah. of um, venture capital or sort of uh, active investors uh, landscape in Malaysia? Um, and, and when should a founder know that they need to raise, to raise money or instead of getting a loan? Mm. You raise uh, money when, let's say... Mm. Yeah. The thing about venture capital, right? You need to know what is the venture capital fund? What does it come with? VC money is actually the most expensive form of uh, uh, capital out there, right? The expected returns are high and you're giving out equity uh, of your business, right? You, uh, it's very hard. If you're given out equity, it's very hard for you to get it back. And it's very, very expensive, not just very hard, it's very expensive to get it back. And, uh, and you should only go to a VC if you are sure that by them putting in uh, that money now, 
they can be uh, guaranteed of uh, a certain amount of returns by a certain date, right? Unless you can guarantee that and your unit economic says that, you just need to, you are no rocket ship now, you just, you just need a bit more jet fuel to go very far, then go and take that VC money. But if you're still figuring out your product, still figuring out your unit economics, uh, then don't bother. All right, uh, next question is for, I think, um, probably the last questions. Um, for mm. anyone who wants to start a company, what advice would you give to them? I would just say that you need to find uh, an idea that is uh, that it worthwhile, right? So because if you want to do and start the business or product, you need to commit your time for the longest time. So for, for a long time, right? So you're going to be investing a few years in that idea and product to make it work. So make sure it's something that is worthwhile. First, if it's something that you are very competent on, maybe, right? There's a few ways. Maybe you want to do work on something that you're very competent on so that it gives you an unfair advantage there. Or you want to work on something that gives you enormous return if it succeeds. That's another one. And then you... You might want to work at something that has a large addressable market. Uh, that is another one. Or I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot of way that you can uh, that you can look at it. Look at it. There's no one size uh, fit all uh, solution here. So, so that will be that will be my key my key point here. I see. All right, I think we already end the session. Um, thank you very much for doing this podcast. Uh, for um, anyone who would like to, anyone who's listening to this podcast, please follow this podcast on Spotify and please follow me on Twitter, ashamiambrian underscore. And also I write uh, some articles on Substack. So you can follow me too uh, on Substack at shamiambran.substack.com. Uh, um, thank you so much for listening to this podcast and have a nice day. Bye-bye.